Hello, and welcome to Humanities Matter, brought to you by Brill. I'm Lee Chung Greco, and this week we'll be looking at key issues in the field of humanities. We're talking today with Sam DeShooter. He's the author of A Global Approach to Local Problems, How to Write a Longer, Deeper, and Wider History of the International Year of Disabled Persons in Kenya. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So first of all, uh, can you tell us how does writing a longer history push the mission of an international organization? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. Um, so my article uh, in itself does not initially aim at kind of pushing this mission of international organizations, but um, I'd say that inadvertently it shows the potential of, of doing so and, and kind of gives a few clues as to how this could be done. So if we take the example of uh, of disability, you know, which is, is, is central to my article, uh, I think my article shows that writing this uh, longer history shows that in devising these disability policies in Kenya, uh, the idea of, of development has always been central uh, and part of having development as, as kind of an ultimate goal was that uh, there was always this reduction to, to a kind of economic logic. So this basically meant a disabled person was seen as a burden, a burden that had to be turned into national asset, uh, which meant, you know, turned into a productive worker. Um, and that whole discourse uh, kind of traces back all the way to at least um, late colonialism. Um, but that discourse that, that was guided by the project of development was actually also uh, a central discourse or a central part uh, of the logic of international or organizations. Um, and so if you, if you then jump to the present day, uh, you can see that that very same basic argument is, is still being made uh, by a lot of international organizations that um, work specifically on uh, disability inclusion and in, in development. Uh, they kind of give this economic case for including uh, disability and development practices, which boils down to the same kind of argument about that it is more cost effective um, to do something about disability uh, and to turn disabled people into uh, productive uh, workers. Uh, and so, you know, uh, showing this this longer history of where these ideas came from, I, I, I think uh, that this can be interesting and that this can push um, the mission of international organizations. Because nowadays you, you, you actually see that more and more historical work on international organizations is being done. Uh, and that Organizations uh, like the ILO, like uh, the International Labour Organization, but also, uh, say, UNESCO, the World Health Organizations, that these organizations are actually also encouraging and facilitating this, uh, this kind of historical research. And one can hope that they use this research uh, that traces this, this longer history of present-day practices, uh, that they use this history to evaluate their past practice, to all understand where uh, present-day practices come from, uh, but also where where these practices might have been problematic in the past. 
Um, so, for example, if we go back to the article, you can see that uh, an economic logic that was used to, to tackle uh, issues of disability, um, that one of the consequences of, of reducing everything to that economic logic was that uh, fast, you know, political, social, cultural aspects of, of disability and, and of barriers that uh, disabled people faced in society were basically, you know, uh, reduced or, or were not taken into account. And so disabled people were turned into, into workers, um, but there were no other accompanying efforts to, you know, mitigate any other uh, barriers they were facing in society. There was nothing being done about, you know, whether they actually had access to employment once they were trained, whether they had access to transport, uh, whether there were issues of discrimination, uh, social and cultural perceptions of disability that uh, produced barriers for people with disabilities. So, um, yeah, in short, I, I think um, writing this kind of longer history can actually help uh, international organizations to, you know, critically examine, examine their past to uh, to rethink their, their present day activities and, and then from there on kind of push uh, a critical agenda for the future. Yeah, so you had mentioned um, that sort of colonial thread about uh, productivity. Was that something that international organizations were aware when they put these policies together at all? Um, I don't know if it's... Uh, really an issue of awareness or rather of something that was there and when organized uh, international organizations and in the case of Kenya the international labor organization you know came into the picture that they you know uh, had to work with was with what was there and what was there was actually you know had its colonial roots and and had this kind of economic logic um and in that way you know just uh, kind of naturally got integrated into what these international organizations were doing. And then again, these international organizations, well, uh, first of all, um, many of them also had their colonial roots. Uh, but secondly, um, they were also pushing this agenda of development and, you know, thinking uh, about disability in terms of development kind of led them to the same basic premises and, and same basic ideas about um, the centrality of employment, of training disabled peoples, of turning them into productive workers. Uh, and so uh, quite naturally, I would say, they worked with the uh, same kind of, of premises and assumptions than uh, these colonial uh, policies or, or, or the colonial interventions. Mm. Um, you also wrote that the reason why the Assembly Heads of State and Government declared an African decade in 1999 was to provide, quote, a local approach to the problems of disability and to develop local solutions to the problems. Um, I found this really interesting because I was reading another paper recently about local versus global responses to pandemics um, using mm -hmm. Ebola in Africa as an example. Um, why did they need a local approach to disability? Yeah, um, yeah, I think indeed there's there's this kind of interesting parallel that, that you can draw with um, responses to pandemics and, and even the, the current uh, approach to pandemics. So, so first of all, um, you have this whole uh, aspect and, and this whole discourse about, you know, local versus global perspectives um, that is that is going on here. And, and part of what I argue in my article is that, uh, first of all, as historians, uh, 
it's sometimes useful to go past these uh, global local dichotomies because if you look at what actually happens in the ground on the ground uh, then you see that international organizations are just working on the ground uh, with local politicians uh, with persons with disabilities with other organizations with even missionaries uh, and so um, you know they they have to do things on the ground and and they have to work with what's there uh, and kind of framing uh, this in something that is either you know a very global approach or a very locally made uh, solution as a historian analytically this is something sometimes uh, not very useful but then again uh, when you're studying this history you 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 come across these actors that do frame this uh, kind of uh, or that do frame this history in in terms of you know global uh, solutions and and local solutions um and i think that is important that as a historian you are attentive to um when uh, historical actors are doing this and and you try to analyze you know what they are saying when they are saying this so the question in in, in this regard becomes um you you mentioned the uh, the organization of african unity uh, and that in, in in 1999 they declared these this uh, african decade uh, for persons with disabilities because they said you know the un uh, had declared uh, a un decade uh, for persons with disabilities but that offered only global uh, approaches and we need local solutions you know your question um, why did they actually think they needed a local approach to disability. And uh, I think there that, that reference to responses to pandemics is, is also very interesting. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Ebola pandemic, but even if you look at the uh, current uh, COVID-19 pandemic, um, you have some critics uh, in different African countries and also in Kenya that uh, kind of formulate very similar critiques. Um, so, for example, in Kenya, you have uh, people saying that um, this whole quote-unquote uh, standard uh, lockdown approach that we are used to in, in Europe, in the US, um, doesn't really work in a country like Kenya. Um, so, for example, there's this um, this activist in Kenya called uh, Gachike Gachi, uh, who exactly warns about the dangers of what he calls copy-pasting solutions from Europe uh, or from the US in Kenya. So in Kenya, you have President Kenyatta, who is also calling people to, you know, stay at home, work from home, uh, practice social distancing. But for many people in Kenya, um, this just doesn't conform to conform to their uh, to their everyday reality. Uh, so they're they're, for example, living in in very densely populated settlements. They're they're surviving on daily wages. They're um, they're generating income through uh, the informal economy, or they, for example, just don't have easy access to drinking water to uh, wash their hands regularly. Uh, so things like that. Um, and so um, you have uh, these people like uh, Gachike Gachi in Kenya and many others also in, uh, in other uh, African countries who are saying that uh, interventions and, and uh, responses to this pandemic uh, must be thought of uh, in a more local way. Uh, and I think that that's an interesting parallel because part of what the uh, Organization of African Unity was saying in 1999 is a very similar argument. Um, and, and most of it uh, was actually economic for them. <clears throat> um, because they said um, 
the solutions that were offered during the UN uh, International Year for Disabled Persons and then the International Decade for Disabled Persons from uh, in the 1980s. Um, much of the solutions that were offered were actually predicated on technology, on economic resources that just weren't available in many global South countries, in many African countries. And so... Um, their argument was basically the same as, as what, uh, for example, Kenyan activists are saying today, uh, that there is no one-size-fits-all solution that, um, you know, whether you're talking about uh, making a society accessible to disabled people or, or whether you're talking about fighting a pandemic, um, you should always start from uh, a thorough understanding of uh, local context, of, of the political, economic, social, cultural context uh, you're working in. So that makes sense then, I guess, uh, that the technological and economic factors at play locally in Kenya really affect the way you create policy around disability. Um, whereas it seemed like in West Africa, when it came to Ebola, um, sort of the cultural aspect was at play when it came to things like um, you know, burials were really important there. And how do you deal with that piece of the social and cultural fabric um, when you're dealing with a pandemic? So it's, I guess, two two different threads that we're seeing mm -hmm. here. It feels like technology and, and economics are, are the bigger factor when it comes to uh, disability policy than like a cultural factor or something like that. Yeah, well... Um... Uh, the organization of African unity in their critique, they, they didn't really talk about that social and, and, and cultural aspect, but it's definitely also there. Uh, and you see that uh, when you look historically or, or even in the present day at what international organizations are doing uh, in terms of, you know, offering technical assistance in the field of disability, um, that they are uh, sometimes thinking about these social and cultural uh, aspects. But uh, then again, um, so there's two things. Uh, first of all, of course, um, you could say that disability is something that is uh, very much culturally contingent. You know, what disability is, how people experience disability, how people perceive disability, uh, is very much defined by the social and cultural context in which you're moving. Uh, but then the second point is that uh, a lot of times these international organizations had very little grasp on this uh, socio-cultural context. And they, you know, kind of offered these uh, platitudes and cliches about what disability meant um, in Kenya or, or in other African countries. Uh, and so, you know, rather than helping them in, um, in tailoring their approach to the social-cultural context in which they were intervening, uh, it also created these these new stereotypes about you know what Africa was, and, and you know uh, that also played in uh, to these ideas that existed about you know dark Africa where everything is magic and everything is superstition. Uh, so uh, that was also the danger of trying to think about this uh, social-cultural context that you know they didn't always get it right, uh, and that, that also led to stereotypes about what disability meant uh, in, uh, in an African context. What's the International Labor Organization? How was it instrumental in Kenya's disability policies? Yeah. Um, 
well, uh, the International Labour Organization um, is actually uh, a rather old organization, I'd say. So uh, they celebrated actually their uh, 100th anniversary last year. Uh, so they were founded in 1999, 1999, wait, <laughs> 1919. Yes. Um, uh, it, now it's uh, a specialized agency of the United Nations, but um, you can see that uh, its history predates uh, the UN actually. Um, I mean, there's a lot to say about, you know, what the ILO uh, is. Um, because it has such a long history. But I mean, I guess there's a few things that, that maybe are instrumental in, in understanding uh, their involvement in, in this history of disability policies in Kenya. Um, so first of all, the ILO uh, International Labour Organization, as you know, kind of the title suggests, is an organization that is uh, dealing with all questions relating to labor, to, to put it fully. Um, and so the first important thing is that quote, quickly they seem to have realized that disability was very closely linked to questions of labor. So there was a question of, you know, um, labor accidents that happened on the work floor. Uh, but also um, it was founded in 1919, so right after the First World War, where a lot of countries were uh, uh, dealing with all these uh, soldiers that came back from the war disabled and, and were thinking about how can we... Um, guide these disabled veterans back to uh, employment. Uh, and so this is uh, uh, the first instance where the ILO got involved with uh, issues of disability through uh, their concept of vocational rehabilitation. So vocational rehabilitation was a rehabilitation that was centered on vocational training and ultimately aimed at uh, getting people uh, with disabilities into uh, fixed employment to put it simply. Um, so right away from basically 1919, they, they were involved in this uh, issue. But at that time, they were mostly uh, what you would call a, a standard setting organization. So they uh, wrote recommendations and, and, um, and conventions. And so in 1955, for example, they, they produced a very important recommendation on vocational rehabilitation. Um, but then the second thing is that uh, since the 1940s, they more and more also became what you could call it uh, basically a development agency. So they started doing uh, technical assistance. Uh, so sending birds to uh, global South countries to assist uh, governments in you know, different domains. Um, and so this technical assistance, became uh, equally important to their standard-setting activities. And they started, uh, since at least the late 1950s, started to uh, send uh, ILO experts in the field of vocational rehabilitation to uh, global South countries, to African countries, uh, also uh, to Kenya. Um, and so this, I guess, is kind of a first basic answer to your question, right? Uh, so the ILO started sending... Uh, experts, technical experts in the field of vocational rehabilitation to uh, Kenya. And so the Kenyan government actually uh, requested these technical experts on several occasions uh, throughout the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, um, asked the ILO to send them one or more technical experts uh, in the field of vocational rehabilitation. And they came to Kenya and they assisted the government, uh, first of all, the Ministry of Social Services, uh, in developing and in, and in implementing uh, policies, uh, vocational rehabilitation policies in the country. 
Um, so that is, I guess, the simple answer to your question. Um, a more difficult answer uh, would be, of course, to really think about, you know, how instrumental uh, they were exactly. Um, but that is kind of a much more difficult question because, um, um, well, I guess there's two things. So first of all, um, the ILO had these uh, standard setting activities. So they devised these, uh, quote, universal standards, you know, like the 1955 vocational rehabilitation recommendation. Um, and these standards were then to inform their uh, technical assistant programs uh, on the ground. Um, but then when you look at uh, what happened in Kenya, um, in Kenya, there were uh, always you know, just one or, or maybe two ILO experts on the ground. And, and these experts also worked within the Department of Social Services. You know, they had to work with Kenyan politicians, with uh, civil servants. Um, they had to work with, with, you know, the resources that were available. Um, so in the end, you will see that, you know, uh, these ILO experts never did kind of a straightforward translation of universal standards into you know, on the ground policies and practices, you know, rather they were working within the confines of, you know, the Kenyan political system of, of Kenyan economic resources. Uh, and of course, also, you know, the agency and, and the actions of, you know, Kenyan politicians, bureaucrats of, uh, especially also of uh, Kenyan disabled people themselves, they were at least equally important uh, in shaping this uh, disability policy. So, um, you know, it's hard in that way already to assess, you know, what exactly was the influence of the ILO in this whole process. Uh, and secondly, also, I think um, it's important to to see that uh, at times it becomes very hard to distinguish actually between the ILO and the Kenyan government because both had that, you know, same basic goal of development. And so, that also made that they had a very similar approach towards disability policies um, for uh, in both cases, you know, both for the Kenyan government and for the ILO, this centered around vocational rehabilitation, um, around getting uh, disabled people into employment. So, you know, given this convergence of, of aims and goals, um, it's always very uh, difficult to assess how instrumental the ILO exactly was in developing uh, policies in Kenya. But um, yeah, I'd say given, of course, the continuous presence of ILO experts from the 1960s all the way throughout the 1980s, it is, of course, safe to say that these experts, um, and I, I would say that actually that's uh, a good way of saying it, uh, that ILO experts, rather than, you know, the ILO, uh, that ILO experts uh, have had an important role to play in, in, in developing these policies. Yeah, another piece of history that uh, I found really fascinating here, and I didn't realize at all, um, was that after independence in 1963, the Kenyan state was quick to develop a national policy on disability. Uh, and then the following year, uh, a committee for the care and rehabilitation of the disabled was appointed by the cabinet. Um, so compared to other countries, where is Kenya in terms of their policies on disability? Um, seems like they're, you know, uh, 
few decades at least ahead of the U.S. Um, I'm not sure about other European countries, but just wondering if you can give us a sense of uh, where they land on the global stage there. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting that that, that you say that and, and that you make that comparison and, and you know that you feel actually that they are ahead of the U.S. Um, um, and I think that's partly has to do with you know this history being very much unknown and that you know let's say in the West we don't really have an idea that you know in a lot of African countries there's been a lot going on in terms of. Uh, in this case, you know, uh, devising disability policies. Um, on the question of compared to other countries where where, where Kenya stands uh, in terms of their their policies on disability, of course, uh, first of all, that that depends on what countries you're comparing to. Um, but compared to the U.S. And, and I think compared to many European countries, I would say they're they're definitely not ahead. Um, Kenya, of course. Um, has had a colonial history and i think that's that's very important so what you see in the us for example is that after the first world war um a lot started happening in terms of rehabilitation uh, this also uh, goes for a lot of european countries but that in kenya uh, which was then of course under colonial rule that the colonial government did you know they did very little they had this uh, limited pension scheme, but even that wasn't uh, implemented very well. Um, and even after the Second World War, where in Kenya more and more things started happening, and the first institutes and first schools opened, uh, even then you see that uh, the government actually wasn't uh, very much involved. It was involved but very limit, in a very limited way, and it left uh, much to uh, missionaries, to voluntary agencies. Um, so, you know, and then independence comes. And as you say, you know, already in 1964, a committee is being formed to think about formulating a national policy. Uh, but you can see that, you know, at that time, they still had, you know, a tremendous task ahead of them. And that compared to other countries that had not experienced colonial rules to European countries, to the US, um, they, yeah, had a lot of catching up to do, so, so to say. Um, and I think then it's also... Uh, Interesting to to extend a bit the time frame of my article because my article stops in the 1980s, um, but I think uh, a lot has also happened uh, since. You know, uh, if we're talking about you know where Kenya stands in in comparison to other countries, I think it's also interesting to uh, look at the present day a bit more. Um, so um, nowadays you have uh, the Persons with Disabilities Act in Kenya, which was drafted in 2003 and then uh, enacted in 2004, um, but which was actually uh, the outcome of, of a much longer process that had already started in the early 1990s. Um, so you have this uh, Persons with Disabilities Act um, uh, one thing that it does, for example, is establishing a national council for persons with disabilities, uh, which is kind of a council that has to monitor that policies are actually implemented, that rights uh, of disabled people are being uh, respected. Um, but also, uh, more importantly, I think this this uh, act uh, also talks about, uh, you know, it still talks about vocational rehabilitation. It still talks about uh, employment for people with disabilities, but it also talks about uh, rights 
Uh, it talks about accessibility, about access to information, to to public buildings, to transport. So all of these all of these things that were very much absent in uh, earlier policies and. Uh, also very importantly, that are things uh, that are uh, mostly, you know, that have mostly come about due to the activism of disabled people themselves and uh, disabled people's organizations. So in Kenya, you can see that especially uh, in the 1980s, disabled people and and their organizations became uh, much more vocal. And I think it's uh, a lot of due to that it's a lot due to that activism that uh, things uh, like rights and, and accessibility also uh, became part of the ag- uh, agenda. Well, looking forward to uh, seeing more from you on that uh, as you continue documenting this. Uh, Sam yeah. Shooter, he is author of A Global Approach to Local Problems, How to Write a Longer, Deeper and Wider History of the International Year of Disabled Persons in Kenya. Sam, thank you again so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you very much. You are listening to the Humanities Matter podcast. You can find more podcast episodes on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast.